This is Fundraising Radio, and today's guest speaker we have Stephen Schwartz, co-founder of Device42 that raised nearly $40 million. And also, Stephen is a member of New York Angels and Angel Investor Forum, which are two pre-large angel investor organizations, I mean, angel groups. And in this episode, we'll talk about raising those $40 million for Device42 and being an angel investor specifically during these times, how should founders reach out to angel investors and how to make sure that the pandemic doesn't really stop them from investing in you. So Stephen, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Device42. That sounds good, Constantine. Yeah, so I, I started my career uh, as a postdoc at Yale University um, here in the New Haven, New Haven, Connecticut area where I live. Um, co-founded three AI companies in the early 80s and 90s, uh, one of which had an IPO in 1986. The second one, we raised a ton of money, uh, and that one failed. Oh. And the third one became one of the – sorry, did you run? No, 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 no. I, I, I was just amazed, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the third one became one of the leading business intelligence products of the 1990s, um, but I had to take the AI out of the product description because the second AI winter had hit in the late 1980s. Uh, after uh, that, that company, I retired for the first time and started angel investing in about 2000. Um, I led the angel investor round of, of Tango, um, was a board member, and mm -hmm. later uh, was the chief technology officer we grew Tango from zero to 200 million, and it was the sixth best IPO of, of 2011. Um, along the way, I had joined the Angel Investor Forum, a Connecticut-based angel group around 2005, New York Angels around 2009. Um, and in 2012, after, after leaving Tango, I retired for the second time. Um, uh, but it didn't last long because I ran into my co-founder, of Device 42, who had a great idea for a new company, um, and I, I, I jumped in with them. Uh, the two of us rented a co-working desk in New Haven. Uh, we wrote the code. We did the sales. Um, just the two of us. Neither of us put in any money, uh, just a lot of sweat equity. Um, and after two years, we had uh, – 80 customers in 20 countries and about a half million dollars of recurring revenue. And that's when we uh, raised our Series A at the end of 2014. Uh, about, uh, I think we raised $3 million um, and went on and started hiring a team and, and ramping up. Uh, we became cash flow positive in uh, about a year and a half later. Um, and remained cash flow positive uh, the whole time until uh, February 2019 um, uh, when we were acquired by a private equity firm um, that put in uh, about $40 million. Um, some of that went to pay out some, old, some prior investors. Um, and just recently, I, I've retired again from Device 42 now that we've built out a a management team and it's it's doing a it's it's gotten to be a fairly big company and um, 
so I retired again, and I just finished a book on artificial intelligence that's going to be published by Fast Company Press next February. Nice. That's actually a very, very exciting background. You've retired three times already. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk first about this uh, that, that you mentioned, which is it was just you and your co-founder. Neither of you put any money on the table. It was just sway equity, as you said. Uh, when was the point when you decided that, you know, it's time for us to raise money. It's time for us to increase our team. We're not capable of doing it by ourselves anymore. Yeah, so essentially, uh, um, we got to a point where we had proven the model. Um, the technology was developed. Um, you know, we had 80, 80 customers, so it was, it was clear there was a market for the, uh, for the technology. Mm -hmm. um, and we had to make a decision. You know, we had to, uh, you know, decide whether to build a lifestyle company and, you know, having a, have a goal of just, you know, growing it to where we could take out huge amounts of money every year, but never never really grow it really big or or bring in investors and grow much more quickly. Um, we, we debated it uh, back and forth, and we finally decided to, to bring in investors um, uh, um, so that we could uh, ramp up a team, um, start delegating some of the, a lot of the things we were doing and, and grow much faster. And it, essentially that's what happened. Um, we, we tripled our revenues in, in 2015, um, more than doubled in 2016, doubled again in 2017, doubled again in 2018, and um, uh, doubled again in 2019. That's some impressive growth. That's really impressive. But basically, you brought your company from zero to basically Series A by having just two co-founders. That's it. That's it. Right. That's that's really impressive. That's very, very, very impressive. You. So what's your advice to founders who are probably uh, some teams, I mean, most teams don't really have this capability of, you know, building everything by themselves. Uh, they probably don't have such a nice mix of co-founders where everyone's covering some specific topic and together they can actually cover a lot of them. So what's your advice to those people? When's that time to start raising if they're not able to really bring the company to Series A by themselves? Where do you think they can actually start at least reaching out to investors to start you know, preparing those uh, connections with investors? You know, as an angel investor, I hear that a lot. Well, we just don't have anybody on the team that can do the technology or, you know, you know, I tell, I tell um, entrepreneurs that they really need an experienced CEO. Well, we don't have an experienced CEO. I'm right out of school. Um, and, and my answer is always, well, you know, this is one of your first challenges. You, you, you need all those things on your team. Um, uh, so go out and get them. Well, how am I going to pay for them? Well, Figure it out. You know, if you can't figure out how to build a team or how to mm -hmm. get the right, the right people on the team, and it doesn't need to be a big team and it shouldn't be a big team. Um, right, right. These aren't the biggest, these aren't the biggest hurdles you're going to encounter in, in, in growing a company. You know, at Device 42, we had all kinds of, all kinds of uh, challenges that, that we had to 
um, brainstorm and, and, and figure out, and it'll be the same thing at every, at every other company. So, um, you know, entrepreneurs, figure it out. That's a good point, right? So your advice is first figure out the team and then you can actually start reaching out to investors, right? Right. And, and maybe maybe building the team includes reaching out to some investors. Maybe right. Um, maybe you know some people. Maybe um, you have friends and family who know some people. You know, re, you know, a, a lot of uh, what you have to do is, re, is re, you know, reach out through your network. You know, you can. You can try cold calling. The, the difficulty with cold calling is you know, everybody's available on LinkedIn. So, you know, I, I'll get, um, you know, 15 people contacting me on LinkedIn every day, um, you know, and they're not even, they're not even in my field. So it, 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 it would be kind of hard for me to try to help everybody. Um, you know, if somebody reaches out to me for help on an AI company, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to, uh, you know, to find some time for them because, you know, I have right. some, uh, some expertise there. Got it. So we've touched on to, you know, those just out of college CEOs and actually a large chunk of my audience are those young first time entrepreneurs. So what's your advice to them? Where should they start their process? Should they start by going to meetups and trying to find their co-founders? Should they try starting by, you know, talking to their uh, college friends and seeing if anyone is interested in working on their idea, where they, where should they start basically? Well, I think, I think first, first they should make sure that they have a, that they're solving a real uh, problem. Um, and that's, that's kind of hard to do when you're right out of school. Um, you know, for me, the, um, the best entrepreneurs are one who, who've been in a field, they had a problem, they couldn't find a solution, um, so they went out and uh, solved the problem themselves and now want to sell that, and now want to sell that solution um, to the rest of their, um, to the rest of the people in their, in their field. Um, you know, for, for, someone coming right out of school, that's, that's going to be tough to do. But, you know, that, that's number one. You've got to make sure you're solving a real problem, not something that just looks good on, looks good on paper. Um, so I would actually, I would actually um, recommend to uh, would-be entrepreneurs coming out of school to get, get some real business experience first. You know, join a, a startup or two, even if they fail. Um, or, or join a big company and and start looking around for business problems that would help that that company um, move forward. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's actually great. Then, oh, thanks. Yeah. So you know, so so first, yeah, you you, you got to find a, a real problem to solve, um, and now what you need to do is think about how to reduce the risk for your investors, which, will, which is also reducing the risk for yourself. You know, when, when investors look at a, a company, they're looking at um, what the risks are. You know, obviously they're looking at the financial plan that's presented, but what are the risks to that financial plan? So, you know, the, the, the biggest risk that you really don't ever like to have to take is, uh, especially in a 
in a technology and an IT company, software company, which is really mm -hmm. expertise, you know, you don't want to take a technology risk. You don't you don't really want to invest in somebody say, hey, I got a great idea, but we haven't built the technology or we've just got a prototype. Um, the second is the market risk. So um, you, you could build a really great product, um, but it might be that nobody will buy it. So, yep. you know, investors like to see some of that market risk reduced by um, having some, some early sales. Um, and even pretend early sales aren't that great an indication because you can always find, you know, five or ten R&D departments will buy anything. Um, and you, you, you customize it and it doesn't mean you have something that's going to work for the whole market. Um, and, and then there's execution risk. Um, you know, as an investor, I, I've fallen in love with technologies that I've invested in. Um, one of them came out of Carnegie Mellon. It was my, uh, a friend of mine who was the chairman of the department started the company. It was fabulous technology, but there were no experienced entrepreneurs and they just did everything wrong. Um, <laughs> it, it was an AI technology that I invested in that I thought was really going to be big in ad tech. Um, it, it, you know, it was a really simple idea. Um, but after I invested, I realized that the entrepreneur, every time they described it, they, there was this big complicated explanation. I kept telling them, what you've got is this really simple thing that you can describe it in two sentences. And now, um, so uh, th that's why I think um, in terms of execution risk, you need some experience on the team and, and ideally that experience should be this, this, the CEO um, because when you, when you run a startup, you're constantly confronted with challenges. You're constantly making decisions. If you make the wrong decision, you're, you're, you're going to run off the rails. Um, you really need somebody who's who's then been there before and you know been to the school of hard knocks and and, and learned some lessons right 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 that's that's a good point and you've mentioned that you're doing angel investing several times and you're a member of two large angel groups so let's talk about that what do you personally like to invest in and it's clear that it's ai but is there anything else that you invest in uh, unfortunately, so my I have I have these rules, and I always break them. Um, <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I, I tend to um, you know one 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 rule is I I only want to invest in business to business software AI software. The more I know about the field, um, the more comfortable I should feel feel in investing in it. Um, you know, and then I look at uh, technology risk, market risk, and and execution risk, i.e., whether you've got an experienced uh, CEO. Now it's hard to find, you know, all of those things, and a lot of times I, I end up investing in things that just sound great to me, um, but I really shouldn't have invested in them because I don't have personal knowledge of. Um, of any of those risks, um, uh, I, I invested in a in a company that made a a great system for people to 
uh, practice for bands to practice music without making any noise. You know, they wear headphones and, you know, that, that you know, I, I, I didn't, I just didn't know anything about that business. It sounded good to me, but it, a lot of times it sounds good to you partly because you don't know anything about it. Um, I mentioned, you know, a bunch of the ones that have failed. Um, uh, I, I can't think of a single failure where um, I, I ticked all my check boxes. Mm -hmm. but, um, and, and I should say, my, my, my two investments this year so far are in biotech, which I don't know a thing about. I've broken my rules on <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that problem with several angel investors. They just love the idea. They don't really know much about the field, but they're like, okay, I want to support that. That happened to me a couple of times too. Uh, didn't didn't work out well. So probably I hope I learned yeah. less, but the future will show. So <laughs> I'm just hoping. Right. And, and, yeah, and, and and a lot of times, you know, on, on these, um, the nice part about being a member of an of an angel group is that um, you may not know a lot about the field, but um, other people who you know and respect in the group do know a lot about the field. And right. you know that was the case with those two um, biotech investments. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll see, you know, if they work out, maybe I'll change my rules. <laughs> That's true. You know, if they don't work out, I'll probably continue to break them. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that sounds like a good plan. So what's your major source of the deal? So how do you find those deals? Is it mainly through those two angel groups or do you get a lot of inbound that you look at? Uh, where do you find those deals? Yeah, it, it's 100% through um, the two angel groups. Um, uh, when I had more time, um, I, would, I would go to... Um, meetups or presentations or, um, you know, we're, we're listening to places where entrepreneurs presented and, you know, I would, I would bring those deals to the angel groups. Um, I haven't really had time to do that now, so it's solely through the angel groups. Mm-hmm. Got it. So let's talk about investing now during this pandemic. A lot of investors just waiting for the dust to sell. No one really knows what's going to happen after the quarantine is over so really very few people actually invest hard cash right now is it the same with you or are you actively investing now um i'm, I'm actively in, i'm actively investing um I, I don't see a lot of reason to wait for the dust to settle um valuations are a little low, lower um i'm not looking to use COVID as an excuse to put the squeeze on a company uh, you know, in my in my business career, I've always believed the win-win approach is, is best, and mm -hmm. um, I've I've tried never to squeeze anyone for the best deal, um, except that maybe when I buy a car. Um, uh, um, so, yeah, I think uh, you know, deal by deal, there there are going to be some companies that aren't really affected by COVID. There's some going to be some companies that are helped by COVID. Um, and there are going to be some companies that, you know, unfortunately, COVID makes them a really bad investment mm -hmm. because it, it it really affects them. So you know, you have to look you have to look case by case. Right, that's true. So, 
how should founders reach out to you in terms of how should they get in touch with you to get that check from you specifically? Should they go through the group, make sure that they get to present in front of the uh, investment committee, in front of the members, or should they just go straight to you and you will help them get to the angel group? Yeah, no, I, you know, I mean, unless it's unless it's a topic that I really have, I'm really interested in, a, you know, like AI, um, they should apply straight to the angel group. I think I think applying to an angel group is is good experience for entrepreneurs because, um, you know, you 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 get you kind of get to learn what, um, you know, what all the check boxes are. Um, and ideally, before you apply to an angel group, you know, you go on the internet, you read up about what angel groups are looking for, you read up about how to how to write a pitch deck. Um, uh, and again, if you if you can't do either of those things, if you can't read up on it, if you can't create that pitch deck, you're, you're really not ready for funding. Yes, that's true indeed. So. Let's talk about the pitch deck. What do you think are the three must-have points in the pitch deck? So the things that you really want to see on the pitch deck. Yeah. So, so let's see. I would say the first thing is uh, how does the product address the market need? Um, that, that's a, that's the first thing I listen for, and that's what I want to be convinced of because you know if if, if you're not really addressing a real market, a proven market need. Um, none of the rest really matters, um, you know. And then I want to know uh, where is the technology? Is it done? Do you have, just have an MVP? How much tech risk is there? Um, and then have you proven the market, or is there, you know, how much market risk is there still? Um, and then what's the competition? It's part of the market risk. Um, uh, and, you know, is there prior startup success on the team, preferably uh, in the CEO? Um, and then finally, I apologize, you said three things. Um, this is about seven. You know, what's the deal? How much are you raising? What's the valuation? Mm -hmm. um, be, be specific. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to, um, you know, a, a lot of entrepreneurs will come in and you know, just leave it wide open and hope they get a good deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, do some research, you know, you know, come in with what you're looking for. You know, if you want to come in a little bit high, come in a little bit high. If you come in with a fair deal, I, I, you know, the angel groups aren't, aren't usually, at least my groups aren't, aren't going to try to, uh, to fight you if it's, if it's fair. Um, Right, that's great advice. And I was actually wondering, so we touched onto that topic several times, which is market validation. And what do you think is the number of, or basically the, the size of the sales that is good enough to prove that you know, there is some sort of market fit? How much revenue should the company bring in? Of course, it's, it depends on the on each company, it's unique cases each time, but is there like a standard thing that you think like 10 sales, $100 each, uh, so which makes it like thousand-month-over-month uh, revenue. Do you think that's good enough as a market validation or is not enough? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, of course, it's going to be different depending on the market you're in. Um, if you're a consumer product uh, that you're selling over the web, um, it isn't even so much the number of sales. It is, are, are you showing 
growth. Um, mm -hmm. Showing, uh, yep. Showing good growth, um, and and is it is it a type of growth that can be juiced with cash? Um, in B two B sales, B two B sales are a lot tougher, uh, and the reason is you can always get a sale by going out to a company and customizing your solution for them. Um, and you can do that five times, maybe even 10 times, but you can't grow a company that way. Mm -hmm. um, so if you, if you have, you know, less than, less than 10 of those B2B sales, the investors are always going to wonder how much customization you're doing for each one. And, um, uh, you know, whether you can get to the point where you don't have to do any customization at all, which is, you know, what you, what you need to really, to really grow. Um, but uh, if you're doing B2B sales, it's going to be very hard to generate a lot of sales, um, uh, especially if, if each sale requires a fair amount of selling um, without a sales team. So it's kind of it's kind of a catch twenty two, and, and investors understand that. On the other hand, if you're doing sales over the web, like uh, Raj and I did at Device Forty Two, you know, there's no reason why you can't have dozens of sales. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's a great point, and I'm personally not the biggest fan of B2B. I think just because of that reason, it's not. Sometimes it's just really really damn hard to scale. Uh, so let's move on to the three mistakes that you see during the presentation. So we've talked about the three must-have points. Now let's talk about three must-not-have points that you could that you see. Yeah. So I would I'd be willing to bet that that you know half or, or more of the angel investors you talk to will will say number one is that entrepreneurs come in with a valuation that's too high. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, you know, the, the problem with evaluation that's too high is that, you know, you, you know you might be able to um, negotiate somebody down to a reasonable valuation, but when they come up with a valuation that's way too high, you kind of look at it and you say, see, do I want to go through all that due diligence and then find out that they're going to be really stuck on that valuation? Um, so that's a big turnoff. For me, uh, the second one I would say is not listing competition, mm -hmm. um, especially when it's easily found on Google. I, I find it very frustrating to hear an entrepreneur say, um, "Well, we really only have one competitor," and then you do a Google search and there are a bunch of them. Yep. Um, and then I guess um, not explaining the use of funds. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs come in and they say, yeah, well, we're going to take the funds, we're going to put this percentage towards tech and this percentage towards marketing. That, that's not really what we mean by explaining the use of funds. Um, I, I want to know, where is this round of financing going to take you? You know, it, when we raised our Series A at Device 42, we said to investors, you'll never need another round of financing. And, and we didn't. We became cash flow positive, um, you know, until the point where we got, a, where we got acquired. 
um, and the, you know, the, the, the private equity investors decided to put more money in to, to do some aspects of growth, but um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't necessary. Um, other entrepreneurs will, will come in and they'll say, uh, okay, you know, if I tech firm, I come in and say I, I need to I need to get to this stage of we'll get it'll get us to this stage of, of in the FDA evaluation process, or um, it's going to last 18 months. At at which point we're going to raise a Series B at this valuation, um, and at that point we'll have this number of this this amount of revenue and so on and so forth. That that's 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 what you want to see, yep. um, because that enables an investor to go in and say, um, okay, is that credible? Do I believe that? Um, is, is the technology where it needs to be to, to get there? Is the is the market in place? Is, you know, what's the execution risk? And um, yeah, so I, I would say those are the three things: valuation, competition, and um, use of funds. Right. That's actually great advice, especially the last one. I think that's very important. And here we're moving on to the last uh, question of this episode, which is a call to action. What's that one thing that you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? So one small step that should bring them closer to success. Yeah, great question. So I would say um, before raising money, uh, entrepreneurs should take an honest look at how much tech market and execution risk they have um, and either value the company accordingly or uh, wait and figure out how to reduce those risks. That's a great answer. That's a good call to action. It's not like a huge, huge amount of work, but it's a it's an important thing to understand like exactly how much you're risking and investors like to see that. <laughs> if you're risking too much, be honest with them, all right? So don't try to, to bullshit your investors. They will find out eventually. So we'll wrap it up yeah. here. Thanks a lot, Steven, for, for this episode. I really loved it. Love great advice. Love especially the last the last chunk of it where we discussed your personal investment preferences. So thanks a lot for sharing that with us and taking your time to do this. Oh, my pleasure. This was, this was enjoyable, Constantine. Happy to hear that. <laughs>